Hey, this is Dan Wunderlich, and welcome to Art of the Sermon, a show for preachers, teachers, and communicators. My guest today is Reverend Justin Coleman. Justin is the lead pastor at University United Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and previously served as the chief ministry officer at the United Methodist Publishing House. Today, I asked Justin about the role that preaching has played in his call to ministry and his pastoral identity. Well, my guest today is Reverend Justin Coleman. Justin is the lead pastor at University United Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. He's also previously served as the chief ministry officer at the United Methodist Publishing House. Justin, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you. It's great to be on your show. Well, why don't we begin by having you tell us a little bit about yourself as well as your ministry and its context. Yeah, so again, senior pastor at University Methodist Church in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, right off of the uh, UNC campus. And so we're surrounded uh, by the university, and we're at the heart of downtown in Chapel Hill. And so it's really interesting to be at these uh, the cross-section of town and gown, uh, quite literally, uh, here at the church. Uh, and so uh, a lot of uh, professors and uh, college students and uh, people who've grown up here in Chapel Hill. It's such a, a fun and a vibrant place. Uh, lots of children and youth and young adults and adults of, uh, of across the ranges. And so it's a really fun place to be. That's really cool. And uh, I, didn't you serve uh, previously in college campus ministry for a little while? Yeah, so kind of my uh, journey was as I began in ministry in a, in a more formal way. I'd, I'd worked as a youth intern and things like that at my, my home church. But after I finished up in college, I became uh, a campus ministry intern uh, at Southern Methodist University and then uh, the uh, associate director of campus ministry there at, at SMU and had a lovely time uh, being in campus ministry. It was so much fun. And and you learn about uh, living in community well with one another in campus ministry. So I really valued uh, those days and and all the relationships that were forged there. So many of the students that uh, we worked with in those days have gone on to uh, be in ministry in seminary settings in local churches and youth ministry. It's really been wonderful to see. And uh, from there, I went to, uh, move, we moved to North Carolina, and uh, I began uh, uh, seminary work uh, at, at Duke. And I worked at North Carolina Central University to help to uh, plant a campus ministry as part of my field education uh, <laughs> process, and uh, and that was uh, that was a great time. I was actually hired by a, uh, a small African American Lutheran church to help them plant a campus ministry, and so that was um, uh, different. Not been a part of the Lutheran experience before, but uh, certainly had a heart for campus ministry, and it was fun helping them to plant uh, a ministry there. Well, we like to ask all of our guests at the beginning just sort of a 30,000-foot level question. What are your philosophies or approaches to preaching or communication in general? If you maybe had a mission statement for uh, your work or guiding principle, what might it be? So if I were to have a guiding principle, certainly I think that uh, one's preaching 
needs to be in keeping with uh, the mission, vision, purpose of the church. I think you've got to find ways to uh, align those. Uh, I certainly think that uh, you've got to preach gospel and uh, moving into any context, you've got to be clear about what what you believe the gospel is and yeah. be able to see it clearly and succinctly. And and so, you know, I like to say that if I were going to put the what the gospel is in a sentence, it's that Jesus came to save and restore us in all creation. And so certainly there are many more things about that, and we can talk about the the heart of God, compassion of tender, loving kindness as it relates to that saving and restoring work. And so there are a lot of things that you can unpack, but just essentially that Christ came to save and restore us and all creation. Salvation is not strictly for these human beings, but for all of God's creation. And that that uh, vision of the new creation uh, from uh, the book of Revelation is what we're moving toward. And so, uh, and so that guides my thinking and in preaching. And then I'd also say that a preacher, I believe, has to be remain true to who they are in, in their preaching, not try to be somebody else, but also has to try to be um, – aware of who they're preaching to. Mm. So when I was in Houston, my church was a a highly immigrant and working poor congregation uh, that was mixed with an aging, primarily Anglo congregation. So it's this this group that came together and became a church. And so as I was looking out at the congregation, you know, they're they're people who have uh, terminal degrees, um, people who are in English as a second language. We're translating the service into French and Spanish. Wow, yeah. So uh, idiomatically, there's so many nuances uh, there as far as um, – uh, apprehension of uh, language. There's so many nuances there. So many nuances uh, related to uh, education as well. So I tried to be thoughtful about that, um, and to try to, um, as I write a sermon, to listen to the sermon. I mean, as I'm as I'm speaking it aloud or as I'm reading it. To, to listen to it, to look at it with each of those lenses. Mm. How is this population going to hear it? How is this population going to hear it? You don't catch everyone, but I think, I think it's, a, it's been helpful for me, even to think about, so how are our, how are our children and our youth going to hear this? How are our women going to hear this? How are our men going to hear this? And, it's, uh, and it's, that's, not to, uh, that's not to create these hard distinctions in between people, but it's also to say, we try to be a little bit more empathetic in my preaching. Yeah. What are they dealing with? How are they hearing? 
And then how do I need to communicate the gospel? Because that's what's most important. Well, I, I checked out the sermon that you delivered right at the beginning of 2018, and it was on baptism. And as part of it, you shared a little bit of your story uh, mm. of growing up in Houston. And, and uh, I'm hearing echoes of um, your story that you shared with your congregation that day with this approach to ministry. So can you maybe share with our listeners a little bit about that story of your upbringing and how that environment might have prepared you to for this to be essential to your preaching? Absolutely. And so I, uh, when my, when I was a baby, my parents moved us from inner city Houston, uh, to, uh, the suburbs of North Houston. And the idea there was to, uh, help us have a, a different kind of trajectory in public education. You know, we weren't going to afford private schools or anything like that. So let's go to the best public system or one of the best public systems uh, around the Houston area. And, you know, we moved to a neighborhood that was largely the product of a kind of an um, everyday segregation that happens. Right. So, you know, there were simply people who looked more like me were not able to have loans or, you know, the financing to be able to, uh, to get a house in, in the neighborhood and, and be able to sustain that. And fortunately my father worked for a bank. And so, you know, there are some things that he was able to do. And so we were, um, a family that was, you know, integrating the neighborhood. There was a small handful of, of African-American families there. And so what, so consequently, growing up, um, I, I felt loved and cared for in in that community, but I also uh, felt in between lots of worlds. Yeah, yeah. And being so, anyone who's who's lived in that space where they're they're trying to communicate to two or more different worlds uh, as a child, it's just survival. Like I've got to I've got to live in this. Yeah. And so I be able uh, to to do this, but also uh, created in me sensitivities for others who were uh, on similar uh, journeys, and 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 I began to value uh, what some people call swimming and being able to swim in different waters, mm. um, and that's offered me the ability um, in my ministerial trajectory, and and not that I set out that this would be, um, what I would do, but, you know, I've been primarily in cross-racial and multiracial appointments. And I think it's because I learned that language growing up, um, and a certain amount of, of comfort being able to be with people who are uh, different than me and find a way to communicate, find a way to develop a sense of kinship, um, and so those formative years, though there are some rough spot, patches yeah. along the way, you know, um, I think ha- has uh, had great benefit in my ministry since. I guess I want to ask you about the responsibility that you might feel when you enter a cross-racial ministry situation, whether it's an appointment like a church or, or even just being invited to speak at a conference and you look out and look, it's all of us white guys staring back at you. Like, do, Is there... Is there a level of responsibility you feel um, to to represent uh, ministers of color, people of color? Is there a re- is there a responsibility that that you feel? Um, I guess that's just my question. I can't think of a yeah. better way to ask it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a that's a it's a great question, and and I would say the short answer is yes. And I've 
felt this um, growing, even growing up, going back to growing up, you know, I think my parents helped me to see that, you know, if you, if you arrive at a place, uh, do well for yourself because you want to do, you want to have that sense that, you know, intrinsic sense of wanting to do well. So do, you know, certainly do well, uh, for yourself, but also remember, um, that you're perhaps making way for others. Yeah. And so there is, um, sometimes this sense of being, uh, Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No. And, and, and going into places and contexts, uh, thinking I've, um, I might not be from here, you know, quote unquote, sure. uh, but I can, pro- I can make a way for others here. And so, um, yes, when I'm, uh, speaking at conferences, uh, to, to some degree and, and certainly in the, in each of the appointments that I've had, um, I, I want people to be thinking about adding more, people of color in those contexts and not having them say, well, that was, we tried that. Let's <laughs> yeah. not do that again. Yeah. And, and, and I've seen that happen in certain places where a person of color added to a staff and really either, or, or added to a community and, and either the person struggled or the community struggled or both struggled. And, um, and then if another person comes in, uh, you know, someone will say, all right, uh, we tried this once, uh, we yeah. ain't trying to, and if it doesn't yeah. work <laughs> with you and it's, so I think that's in the Methodist church and in a lot of places in our society, this is, uh, the role and responsibility that those of us who occupy those spaces carry. It's, um, it's not certainly not at the level of, you know, uh, the president of the United States. Sure. But uh, when you when you look at uh, Barack Obama, there's this sense of all right, man, don't you? I hope this goes well yeah. because, and and, um, and so it's just a function of firsts, and unfortunately, we still have far too many firsts. We have we still hear about too many glass ceilings being broken for, uh, women and minorities, uh, in, in the life of the church. And, um, I'm just looking forward today to the day where we're, we're moving on to seconds and thirds and fourths and can't even keep count. Yeah. But we're in the space we're in and I hope I represent well. <laughs> well yeah i i mean i i admire you so much for that thank you for for entering into that part of the conversation we'll we'll get back to preaching specifically i'm i'm yeah. interested to hear what role did the responsibility of preaching play in your call to ministry was it something that was appealing to you that made you think hey i could be a pastor i'd like to do this or was it more nerve-wracking like i'd love to be a pastor but with that preaching thing i don't know if i could handle that no i think um growing up i I loved seeing two things. I loved seeing the pastor preaching and presiding at the table. Mm. So uh, of things that I, I, I paid most attention to in church, those always seemed to be the things. And I think I grew up with some 
decent preachers and people who valued uh, the the table. And so I've I've been a word and table table guy. So and as it relates to my call to ministry, my call was actually discerned in the midst of preparing a sermon for the youth Sunday yeah. at my church. Uh, my pastor's son and I were both going to be delivering messages for that Sunday. And they thought and it, it was always two youth would deliver uh, the message. And so between the two, they figured, you know, the time might actually add up to a proper length. <laughs> and it was during that time that I began to hear uh God speak to me, and I was preaching on the person, power, and presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's a pretty intense <laughs> Youth Sunday sermon, man. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, fresh out of the gate uh, sermon, person, power, presence, Holy Spirit, and and I felt the call uh, there. And so, yes, preaching has always been a part of that conversation for me, and part of the call. When, and you've touched on this a little bit. How does it fit into your pastoral identity today in the, in the hierarchies of your priorities and activities as a lead pastor? Where might preaching fall? Yeah, so, you know, I am. Uh, I once heard Mike Slaughter uh, say, we're in a conversation, and, and he talked about how things were early on in Gingersburg. And, and, you know, he said, look, you know, I was— I was the pastor, so I kind of did everything. Yeah. But he said, I wasn't good at everything. I, he said, <laughs> I'm not a generalist. And when I was able to find people uh, to come alongside and take care of different parts of the com- conversation, uh, I did what I'm most called to do better, and they did what they're called to do better, and the church, um, and the church was blessed by it. So I'll, I've always had uh, something of that sense for me as well. And in fact, I think the Methodist Church, uh, it, at least, and I'm not going to speak for other traditions, but the Methodist Church puts uh, far too high a premium on uh, generalists and yeah. uh, how we form folks. So I would say that uh, in my current context, it's about preaching, vision, and strategy and overall direction of the staff, key responsibilities. And, you know, we have the, um, the gift of a system that where there are other people who do uh, spend greater amounts of attention on certain other aspects of, um, of the ministry. And so that, and, and we're still living to that, into that system in some ways, but it's providing me greater and greater abilities to focus on uh, that, the four that I, I mentioned. And, you know, and preaching needs that. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to de- uh, um, develop a compelling message that is speaking uh, to, to people, um, it's, it's hard to dial that in. It's yeah. hard to do that on Saturday night. <laughs> and, um, I mean, it can be done and the spirit shows up and praise the Lord, but, but, um, I'm in a congregational setting now that folks really say, no, we pastor, we we're hungry for, for more than, mm. for more than that. And, and they want to allow uh, help allow room for that uh, here in, in the church, which I think is is wonderful. But also to be attention to attentive to how preaching 
and vision uh, connect is something that also takes time and uh, and then to help move the church forward to have a strategy for the future. And I and I think, you know, living week to week, (laughs) I mean, day to day or week to week uh, as your arc hardly ever gets you there. And so um, I've just been compelled and inspired when we talk about. And the preachers who have been on this podcast and folks who have uh, served faithfully or doing uh, wonderful work in, in fruitful work in ministry. Uh, I don't know if there's any of them say, you know what? Hey, I just I'm kind of going week to week on this. <laughs> and, uh, um, you know, I arrive into the pulpit sweating because that thing just got pulled together every week. And, you know, just you've got to be thinking in larger arcs than that. Can you give us a practical example of a series that you either have recently preached or will be preaching soon um, that is an example of, of preaching as leadership and trying to, to guide your congregation to a place you'd like it to go? Yeah, so we're moving into a season in the church life where we're talking about mission and vision, clarity, uh, bringing clarity to our purpose. We've got some language here that we think is already Good, but we really need to spend time unpacking this and understanding uh, what this language really means for us. Um, you know, what does it mean to love God, serve others, and build Christian community? Let's really deepen our our understanding of that. Um, let's talk about why this church is here. It's here again at the cross section of town and gown. What's our purpose here in town? And then how is that going to affect? the way we think about loving God, serving others, and building uh, Christian community. Uh, uh, How do we talk about the heart of compassion? So compassion, if you were to ask me, compassion is like the heartbeat of our congregation. Mm. And so how does that fit in? And so we're looking at all these pieces that are are there that we need to uh, articulate Moving to 2018, we wanted uh, uh, some sermon series and conversations that began to speak to that. So uh, that meant in Advent, we pulled um, from O Holy Night uh, portions of verses in this phrase, and the soul felt its worth. And so we wanted to spend some time talking about um, compassion and uh, through the lenses of you know, love and joy and hope and peace, you know, these themes of, of, of Advent and what it means for our souls to feel their worth, what it means for uh, a soul that we are uh, reaching out to with uh, arms of love and kinship to feel its worth. And so that kind of primes the pump. And then as we move into January, uh, we've got a series that we're starting this Sunday called The Call. And so what does it mean to have a call to compassion, a call to serve, a call to build community, a call, you know, these kinds of things that are then um, going to act as a springboard for other conversations, listening conversations that we'll be having across the spring inside our community and then outside our community around uh, worship, discipleship and outreach. Mm. So again, it's just 
thinking about how all of these things uh, fit together as part of a conversation. Um, we also have said that one of the things that we value here um, certainly is we value learning, but that also needs to be biblical literacy. And, uh, and so we want to, we want our imaginations as we're developing mission, vision, purpose, clarity, uh, and even developing new ministries that kind of uh, grow out of that clarity. Uh, we want biblical imagination, uh, to be a part of all of this. And so we're going to spend the entire summer reading the entire Bible together. Oh, wow. as a and, um, no, certainly read all of that, <laughs> right? Um, but uh, but we're going to you know, maybe there's a reading plan, and we'll be reading through uh, the entire Bible and preaching uh, from moments, uh, the sections of reading that we've engaged in during uh, the week. And so again, that's that's all meant. That's all because we want scripture we want people to love scripture and for that to inform how they think about the ministry that we do here so again all these things uh tying together what i absolutely love about what you just shared is that um it sounds like you're taking the things that the congregation treasures that can also be very inward and you're transforming them into outward qualities. Because when you talk about a compassionate congregation, that's often a very kind way of saying we're a country club. We love our own members, but instead you're inverting that and pointing it out. And, and, um, uh, you know, a very, um, a congregation that loves knowledge that can very turn, you know, turn into, we love our small groups and we love our Bible studies and we love sitting in our rooms, in our building, talking to each other. And then that usually ends at the doorway. So I love that you're taking these things that they already love and identity they already have, and you're turning it outward focused. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's, and again, that's just an important part of, uh, you know, so I haven't come here to be a pastor to impose sure. whatever is going on in my heart on the congregation. Um, it's, uh, bringing out the gifts that God has placed within this congregation and, uh, helping them to shine. So, uh, that's what we're trying to do. Well, if any of our listeners check out your sermons, uh, particularly on your church's YouTube channel or other places you have, I don't know whether I want to call it a tradition or a technique, but you begin your sermons by having the congregation speak to one another uh, and to you. Can you tell us, uh, how that uh, came about for you and, and why you do it? Yes. Well, I learned this from one of my um, friends, mentors, fathers in the ministry, uh, uh, one of my uh, pastors, uh, Zan Wesley Holmes, Jr. Now, uh, Zan, who was for many years uh, pastor of St. Luke Community United Methodist Church in Dallas, Texas, and also a, a preaching professor at Perkins School of Theology, uh, so that was the first church that my wife and I joined together. And man, love uh, St. Luke, love Zan. He, I mean, as far as a Sunday to Sunday, uh, hit the ball out of the park preacher, <laughs> I have hardly, I've not seen anybody do it like him. I mean, he was just masterful every week, and it's just <laughs> awe inspiring in that kind of way. But what Zane would always do is he would always have you turn to a neighbor on uh, uh, one side and, and on another side and ask. A, and it was mostly a question for him. And and he said, you know, I want this question to 
hang in their minds. I want them to be answering it as the uh, sermon uh, goes on. And so I don't always do a question. Sometimes I just do a a thought or a theme. Uh, But it is something where when people leave, (laughs) because honestly, how how much of any sermon do you actually (laughs) Uh, um, But when people leave, uh, they they'll have that phrase in their mind yeah. and and that will kind of help reinforce some of the, some of the conversation. And, you know, for a, a church like ours, that is, that is not very call in response uh, <laughs> in a kind of fluid, uh, fluid way. This has an, a wonderful opportunity to be able to actually look at somebody next to you and, uh, who, who may or may not be related to you who, or someone behind you or in front of you and, and interact with them. And so Sunday to Sunday, it always creates this fun moment of energy where uh, people look at one another and they're smiling at one another and they're smiling um, uh, at, at me. And it's a great moment of connection and focus, I find. But, uh, but I learned that from seeing uh, Zan Holmes do it Every single Sunday, uh, uh, you know, without fail, um, and and it it's proven to uh, be pretty effective. Yeah, I I watched. Uh, I believe it was your first Sunday there at the church this last summer, and uh, instead of a question, it was a statement. And you had them turn to each other and say, "You are welcome here," and then you had them turn and say it to you. So it's like, all right, you said it. I'm here. I'm welcome. And and then I loved on uh, on Christmas Eve. You're like, I know this is a little weird, but I do this all the time. Just bear with me. It was it was cool. Yeah, it do, it does seem to work, and 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 people comment on it like, you know, it's 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 good for me to be able to look at someone because I don't I don't know if I would without that moment. Yeah. yeah. Well, we have a set of questions that we like to ask all of our guests, and the first one is, what is one of your favorite or most challenging preaching experiences? I will say that um, <laughs> one of uh, I'll start with one of my most challenging uh, because I, I just I love this story. So I was um, this this was actually a while back. I was in college and I had helped to plant a campus ministry at my own college. While I I kind of veered away from um, Wesley Foundation life as an undergraduate. Forgive me, all the Methodists out there. <laughs> And we wanted to plant a campus ministry that primarily ministered to international students and artists. Yeah. So, uh, and so we were taking a mission trip together and the pastor who was going with us was, uh, detained in another country, not detained negatively, but there was a visa issue with one of our students um, going from one country to the next one that we hadn't anticipated and thought that we'd kind of thought through that yeah. whole process. So it meant that I think with with the rest of the group to the country that we were to be arriving in, and uh, and all of a sudden I am the kind of most senior official for the <laughs> trip for a day. We, we hit the ground running and we're going to go to a uh, soccer stadium and there's going to be an outdoor worship service and people from the neighborhood are gathering and 
Um, and, uh, you know, we've got the music lined up and everything's lined up, but now we don't have a preacher. And so the, uh, the mission worker that we were with said, okay, so you're it. You got a <laughs> sermon, but t- on the way from the airport, the preaching site. So this was like, um, this was, didn't even have, uh, you know, a long time to, to come up with this. And, and I said, well, what, what does it need to be like? And the fellow said, well, you know, think of it like a Billy Graham sermon. <laughs> and I, I thought, okay, this is, um, boy, you've just asked a Methodist kid uh, in college to deliver a Billy Graham sermon with an under, and write it in under a couple hours. Yeah. This, this ought to be good. Um, and I got up there and I preached, and I have no idea what it, I said. I do not think it was uh, – um, I don't even know if it was cogent, uh, <laughs> but there was this moment of prayer afterward in the crowd that looked fairly, I just think they were glad that prayer had come and I'd stopped. Um, <laughs> but the richest moment of that was uh, going down and praying um, uh, with a, a mother and her daughter that had this uh, skin affliction. I mean, it just looked like scales were all over this kid's skin. And, and the daughter must've been uh, two or younger and everyone's kind of standing away from her. And I just felt this call to go and, um, you know, lay hands on this child and not be afraid of her and just pray. And then people started to gather around and gather close, and it kicked off this whole new moment um, of prayer. And so the reason I say this is one of my favorite preaching moments is, you know, a lot. Of, I think these days a lot of people, particularly folks who want to be really prophetic, you know, I just got to got to say the hard thing, kind of stick it to them in the sermon, and you yeah. know, this kind of thing. And I, I think that. Um, the thing that's most prophetic is action and um, me walking down um, out of the stands and walking to this uh, mother and child was actually um, it was preaching. It spoke something to that crowd that clearly my sermon failed to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I, I call that it was, so one of my most terrifying moments, but it um, it actually uh, ended in uh, in a lovely way. Well, do you have a preference uh, preaching Christmas Eve or Easter? Man, so I got to tell you, like both of them, I tend to tie myself up in knots about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's like I I've got to I got to give the best sermon of the heavens need to open <laughs> up and the spirit needs to come down and say, well done, uh, my beloved child. Uh, you know, yeah. so, but here's what I've learned about Christmas and Easter. Um, you know, some people want to preach the most rigorous sermon ever. And it's just the most nuanced and, and really those need to be simple and elegant. Mm. I think really, really clear, even if it's got one point, really clear. So, you know, this, um, this past Christmas Eve, my 
sermon uh, was you're worth it. That was the whole thing. Yeah. God sent Jesus and God, the father sent Jesus into the world because you're worth it. And, um, and so between the two, man, it's hard to, it's hard to say because I love them both. Um, these days, and I know, I mean, some people will get on me on this. <laughs> I have this, uh, I do love, Christmas Eve, in part because I think that I think the early church had this balanced notion of the incarnation and the cross, mm. and part uh, and we're so cross focused in modern Christianity. It's all about the cross, it's all about the sacrifice, and yes, it's about that. But there's also this sense of awe that is present. Yeah. in the incarnation that I think the early church held so well. Some have said the early church was just as much about the uh, incarnation uh, as uh, the resurrection. Um, they were, you know, uh, manger people as much as they were cross people. Mm. And and so I'm enjoying this sense of, man, let's, let's fill ourselves with the awe of the incarnation. So anyway, I, um, I do tend to, I think, enjoy that season for that. But boy, I love both. Well, who have been some of the most impactful preachers or non-preachers in your life and why? Uh, so I'd say you know, you've got folks like Zan Holmes. You've got people who were like um, uh, the pastor I had in Houston when my family was Baptist, uh, Reverend Dr. William Lawson, African-American, another African-American a uh, uh, preacher who preached more in the vein of like a Gardner C. Taylor. So he, he was never kind of going to hoop and holler, but he was, he was going to try to be poetic and boy, you're just going to kind of, those words are going to capture you and you're going to, you're going to want to hang off of, of those words. So I think about people like him, certainly people like uh, Gardner C. Taylor. Um, and I, I also love folks like Will Willimon, and I, you know, I love good old Bishop yeah. uh, and and, and uh, one of the former pastors of University Church, Bill Gaddis. People who were able to, um, you know, Southern guys who are able to 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 use some of that Southern charm, but also say uh, uh, profound things to people like. Uh, Sam Wells, who exegetes so phenomenally well, uh, I think, in in sermons, uh, to people like Andy Stanley, and uh, a person who uh, can be such a clear uh, and compelling uh, communicator and even conversationalist, uh, to a person like Tim Keller, who um, is... Uh, what I love about uh, Tim beyond his sermons is he went into a community of really uh, well-educated folks and he said, okay, if I'm going to be pastor here, I've got to learn their language. And so I'm going to read everything they read yeah. across disciplines. I'm going to go into a community and I'm going to learn and be a part of the conversations they are a part of uh, is just being a good pastor. And so, so there are a number of voices that I, and, and uh, you know, Rob Bell during Rob's um, uh, active preaching days in the, in the pulpit, um, 
you know, I, I loved his uh, style. I could always tell who he was reading and what his influences <laughs> yeah. were. Uh, but he has this wonderful way of asking questions of the text in preparation that, uh, and then letting us in on that journey. <laughs> and, uh, and I have always thought that he, um, particularly as a local church preacher was, uh, phenomenal because of, because of how he did that. So again, that's, that's, a um, those are very different kinds of, of preachers, but I've learned something from all of them. What books, podcasts, or other resources might you recommend our audience check out? So I got to tell you, anything that Gregory Boyle, Father Gregory Gregory Boyle from Los Angeles, has ever said on a interview <laughs> uh, or a podcast, or certainly his two books, uh, Tattoos on the Heart and Barking to the Choir, uh, those are core for me as far as resources that talk about uh, connecting to people. Uh, I think he's a a capable preacher and a storyteller and uh, certainly uh, talks about uh, the heart of compassion and the tender loving kindness of God in ways that I think are absolutely um, compelling. There is uh, a a podcast called Reclaimed, and this is... uh, podcast out of uh, Houston and and folks who are dealing primarily with um, at-risk teens. And I do think that their their conversations are really interesting. I mean, if particularly if you are thinking about uh, uh, justice in the community and how uh, issues around education are are a uh, are a civil rights issue for uh, today. And so Again, these are not <clears throat> these are not about as much about the craft of of preaching as no, I not think a the problem. as the uh, the content uh, of preaching. Um, you know, I am, uh, and it could just be my journey with uh, the Methodist Publishing House, but I am a I'm a Ministry Matters guy. You know, <laughs> I uh, I, uh, I look at that um, and continue to. to Look at those articles and, and those conversations, and uh, and uh, and look for voices that um, really connect with me. And so, I, uh, I spend a lot of time there. But yeah, those are just a, a few for you to check out. That's great, and you've got some great stuff up on Ministry Matters as well. So uh, I'll make sure that our folks know how to find that. And uh, if they do, if our audience does want to get in touch and say hi or follow your work, what's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you can connect with me on social media, Twitter, at Rev Coleman. Um, I'm uh, on uh, Facebook and have gotten to the place where people from all over the place uh, um, add me as friends. And so usually that that works as well. And Facebook hasn't like capped me or anything. (laughs) I never so I'm good there. And and then, you know, our uh, church website, universityumc.church, uh, if you go on there and um, send me an email message, uh, I'm happy to connect uh, via email as well, So, and would love to connect with listeners. That's so great. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, sharing all your experiences today. We really appreciate it. Uh, thank you. I appreciate it. And uh, 
Uh, love your podcast. Love the conversations. Love what you're doing and keep it up, man. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of Art of the Sermon. You can find show notes, including links to some of the things that we talked about at artofthesermon.com. As always, I would love to hear what you think about the show, and I want your input to be a part of the conversation. So you can connect with me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at username Art of the Sermon. If you'd like to support the show, I would encourage you to subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play Music, or your favorite podcast app so that new episodes are downloaded as soon as they're live. And of course, in addition to sharing the show with your friends, the best way to help us out is to leave a review in the iTunes store. This lets iTunes know that you care about the show and want other people to find it. Thank you again so much for joining me, and I'll catch you next time on Art of the Sermon.